Welcome to the Move Well Radio Podcast, where we discuss all things related to health and wellness. We dispel common myths and misconceptions regarding healthcare, and we do it in a way that you can actually understand. And it's hosted by yours truly, Dr. Roger St. Ange, doctor of physical therapy, founder of Move Athletics Physical Therapy and Performance. All right, guys. On today's episode, we have uh, Leanne from Guidance by Lee Grief Coaching. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me, Roger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited um, to chat because I feel like there's a lot of people that have no idea what grief coaching is or like maybe not even have heard of it. And uh, I know we've all had to deal with lots of uh, grief and loss and, and uh I'm just thinking really about myself when I say us. So why don't we kick it off by just telling us a little bit about like what grief coaching is? Yeah, sure. I don't think that really the majority of people know what it is. Um, myself included, I lost a brother seven years ago um, and I found myself not being able to get the help that I needed. Um, not because I don't think that there's a lot of fabulous clinicians out there because I do. Um, I just wasn't able to necessarily connect to one. So I became sort of a student to what healing was, right? And so I literally dedicated my time um, into figuring out how I was going to pull myself out of a really, really crummy space. Um, This year, um, actually last year in 2020, I stumbled across grief coaching. Um, And so it was sort of something that I felt like I was already doing based off of my own journey. Um, but there was a program um, where there was this incredible, incredible director. You actually had to apply to get into it and interview and get selected. So her vested wow. interest in who was like a part of the program was a real turn on to me, right? It wasn't just some certification that you sign up for and you get, right? Like she she wanted to make sure that she had the right people for the right reason. And so basically um, – I, in that program, learned to sort of sharpen my skill set in what I was already doing and what I had already sort of taught myself, but then was given like this this incredible additional amount of skill that I would have never known. And so basically what it is, it's sort of a two-pronged approach. One is um, specific for people who have lost a loved one, right? Like that's sort of our traditional thought of what grief is. And so it's listening to what the story is, sort of unpacking what the feelings are, and then taking an empathetic approach and validating what the person is going through and gently guiding them through a process of understanding that their feelings are valid, but bringing them from a place of sort of sadness to a shift of gratitude, right? And so that's sort of the first prong approach. Second prong approach is sort of non-traditional loss and what we don't really think about as grief. So when you get divorced or you separate or you break up, right, there's that sadness, there's that grief, you, you, you're missing the person, you're struggling to get back onto your feet, right? Um, or diagnosis of chronic illness or loss of job, moving to a new city, right? And so we generally as a society don't think about that as grief, but as a matter of fact, it is, right? And so with that subset of people, I generally work with them to 
unpack the feelings, right? Because that's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's critical. Um, but then we do a lot of work in sort of reshifting what's upstairs and what's been programmed in our minds for all of time because we're like a computer chip, right? And so we are who we are based off of all of the experiences we've had in life, how our parents raised us, what we've learned in school, right? It's all coming at us. And so um, we, we start to do work on reprogramming those neuro connections and also building new positive ones to shift people into a space where they literally can bring them best their best selves to the table. So not just getting through what they're suffering that loss from necessarily, um, not just that, but it's like, okay, how can I apply these tools in every aspect of my life and then like conquer the world? <laughs> yeah, I think that's... <clears throat> I mean, that's huge, like taking a skill set and applying it to all of life. Like that, yeah. that's where you're going to get a lot of neurological carryover, right? Like right. it takes reps in practice, yeah. changing the way that people think about things. Yeah. Uh, it's not an easy task that, that you put yourself in. It is not. <laughs> and, and it's funny, Roger. I tell people all the time, it's like physically going to the gym, right? Like oh, you don't yeah. just go to the gym and build a bicep muscle the first time you go. It takes time and repetition and practice. And so think of your mind the same way you would a physical muscle. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's a, that's a great analogy. I love gym analogies, especially yes. when it comes to uh, thinking and mental health and decisions and like all of that stuff, because it, it really is reps. Like, just like, just like you just said, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. You don't go to the gym one time and all of a sudden you're ripped. It's like, yeah. you know, it takes consistent effort I mean, maybe even daily over decades, Correct. right? For a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and like those results are just kind of like a little at a time. A little, yeah. And then you just kind of like, all of a sudden you look in the mirror one day and you're like, oh, wow. Like, I look, hey, things are really different hey, here. Hey, I have muscles. And it's, and it's kind of the same thing. Like I've, uh, I've actually been really looking forward to this conversation because I've dealt with my own whole host of like grief, right? Like from being a kid and Marine Corps and all these things. Um, so I just love hearing your outlook uh, on yeah. this. And, and as you're talking, I'm thinking about um, all of the times where uh, I personally have been in a position where I was grieving and maybe didn't even like realize it or resistant yes. to it. So yeah. is this something really that, you know, do you see a lot of people like in that area of like not quite or like, is that like people kind of deal with that and they realize, okay, maybe I'm struggling and then I want to reach out. Yeah. That's, what does that look like? It, it actually, um, you hit the nail on the head. I feel like the people around the person that's suffering the grief generally are the first ones to recognize that someone may need a little bit of help. And so what's yeah. interesting is that I get a lot of calls from family members or friends like, you know, this person is suffering and I'm, I'm watching them struggle and I think that they need help. And it's really tough because just like anything else, it has to be the person sort of to recognize that they need the help. And so I have those gentle conversations with the family member and friends mm -hmm. to say, I appreciate the phone call. Um, but ultimately, you know, you can certainly recommend me, but it's going to be up to the person to sort of take that first step. And I say it all the time, like just to raise your hand and say that you need help, particularly in the mental health space is a super brave, courageous move. So absolutely, if the person connects with me, I'm like, hey, you've done half of the work, right? Like <laughs> just by saying I need help. And by the way, like, can we meet is, is amazing. And so I find that once we have the initial first meeting, the connection can be made, right? Um, but that's a big part of it too, being able to connect with 
the person um, is critical for the success of the work that we do together. Because if you're not comfortable with me and or anyone that you're seeing for your mental health, right, then you're less likely to share, be open, be honest, to really get down and dirty into like, what's what's making you sad and bummed out and, and you know, so... That's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. It's like, I, and I'm just thinking of all the times after I got the Marine Corps where I like scheduled an appointment with a therapist and uh -huh. I just didn't go. Yeah. Or canceled. I'm like, ah, someone has it worth. Like, I don't really need that. Like, ah, whatever. Yeah. It literally years, like six. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's scary. It's really scary because then there's part of it, right? That you know that you have to face whatever it is that you're calling to make the appointment about. And for some people, they can't really even get to that point, mm -hmm. which is super sad because once you're able to connect to someone and that person can help you through that, like there's life on the other side of grief. I say it all the time. And there's life of happiness Sometimes and joy. Sometimes it feels like there isn't. Correct. For sure. Correct. Yeah. 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 It's like, I'm going to feel like this way for fucking Ever. All of time. Forever. Yeah. All of time. Yeah. And you're uh, you're so spot on and accurate with, with the connection bit. Yeah. Uh, because the first, uh, when I actually went, because uh, I go to the vet center. Okay. They try to match you up with somebody that's like in your same service as like this big, burly, masculine guy. And I'm like, no. mm. do you guys have a woman that I <laughs> Yeah. Can, can I have to? somebody with a softer approach yeah. and touch? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I actually, uh, I went through a couple of different people before I found somebody to connect with. Yeah. But that's so... Uh, it's so hard because it's like you have to be more honest with that person than you are with yourself because Agreed. we'll tell ourselves all kinds of lies, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I find for me the hardest time that I have to go talk to my therapist are the times that I really need to go talk to her the most because I'm like, well, this is something I just don't want to deal with and uh, I can <laughs> lie to myself, but I'm going to be more honest with you. And if I know if I talk to you, like that's going to happen and maybe I don't want to yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. It is, it is. It's like, it's like looking in the, holding a mirror up to your face, right? is not an easy thing to do and to really do a deep dive into what's going on and be able to be vulnerable. That's a scary word for people. Vulnerability, right? Yeah. Like it just is. Yeah. I struggle with that daily. Yeah. Like in my intimate relationships, like in my relationship I've been in for forever now, like I still struggle with that at times. Yeah. Right? Like it sucks. Vulnerability sucks. It does suck. Yeah. It's like the let go of control. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely. That's like, um, and, and I think that maybe more so, and you can correct me if you disagree, yeah. but I think maybe more so for the, the male population has more of a difficult time with vulnerability because um, it's like driven into you. Like you should just have the answers. Well, and also know. from a very fine. young age, right? Like don't yeah. cry, toughen up, like pull up your bootstraps and get going, right? Yeah. And so you guys have been taught from all of time, right? That's what I'm talking about, how our brains have been programmed since you were just children, like knock it off. Don't cry because you're being a baby. Right. Yeah. And so, oh, yeah. Good point. yeah. So at what point as an adult, do you think it's okay to cry? God, you don't I feel like such a bad person right now. Cause I've definitely said something like that to my kids. Yeah. Before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, be, but it's not your fault. It's just what you were taught. Right. And yeah. so we sort of carry that on generationally. Um, but it is something that people should probably be a little bit more mindful of, um, is that we do do that to our, to our, to our boys, Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. funny. You said that, and I instantly like pictured a time where I said that to my son, and I was like, "Oh God!" Oh snap! Uh, yeah, yeah. But 
I think you're, that's another good point that you raise is like the generational, like you do what your parents do. Like I, my father was like super abusive, terrible. So I, I yeah. intentionally try to not, not do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I still catch myself every once in a while. Like, yeah. Oh, that's something that I wouldn't like as a kid that I'm doing or saying now. So like being active and reflecting on those things is super important. Is huge. Yeah. I think that people tend to go in one direction or the other, right? It's like either you continue on the pattern of what your parents have done or they, quite frankly, damaged you so much that you go, oh, shit, like, I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to do everything I can to not be that person. Right. But some of that some of that crummy shit still trickles through. Like, sometimes, it just happens. Sometimes I like to, to give my kids. I don't ever actually tell them anything, but I just like <laughs> I give them no direction. <laughs> no, sometimes I just like to ask them, like, hey, like my kids know a little bit about like my childhood. Right. Uh, I was like, you know what, you know what my dad would, would do or say to me in this situation? They're just like, nope. Nope. <laughs> like, no, yeah, I do not. I'm not going to tell you either. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I had something to say, but I totally forgot what it was. Oh, yeah. I was going to say uh, that I've managed to change the corner and now I like, cry at Disney movies. My daughter makes fun of me. I love it. There's like anything sad going on. I'm like, <laughs> she's like, Dad, you're shaking. You're crying again, aren't you? Leave me alone, Jaden. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Back to watching Rapunzel. <laughs> I think it's good. My husband uh, is a crier also. Yeah. Yeah. No, he has I, big, huge muscles and tattoos everywhere and he cries over everything and it's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think that's super important though, to be yes. able to show kids that because yeah. I never had that as a kid. Like, yeah. Like, we go back to that word of yeah. being vulnerable, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and that's part of, I think as a society, we are so grief avoidant. We're so feelings avoidant. I mean, I do think that there is somewhat of a shift that's happening, that we are being more gentle and more kind and more mindful about what we are saying and doing with our children than when we grew up even, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I do see that there's a slight shift, but it's like if you don't teach – if you're not open and honest about grief with your kids, right? Like I hear a lot of my clients say, I go in, I cry in the shower, I make sure that I don't cry in front of my children or my grandchildren. And I'm like, you might want to think or consider differently because here's the reality is when death shows up at their doorstep, what are they going to do? They're going to do the same thing that we were taught. If our parents weren't crying in front of us or, sh or sharing their feelings and emotions around it, then, then in their generation, they'll do the same thing, right? Like, and so – there's a level of understanding, right, age appropriate and what you should be sharing, Absolutely. but certainly to cry over someone that you've lost or cry over a situation or a hardship that you're going through, there's nothing wrong with that. And you should share that with them because at some point, the reality is, is it's going to happen to them too, right? And so the more that we teach them that it's okay and show them that it's okay, the more that they'll understand that when they have to face it, they're not on an island of their own, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I just had a sudden shift in my viewpoint on things that probably Brittany has been telling me for years. For all the time, <laughs> pretty yeah. sure like <laughs> some, But like, no, I feel like actually right now, like well, those are really good points in, in yeah. ways I think that most people don't think of it because I've never thought of it as like, I'm going to do this in their best interest to give them these tools and like let them know that it's okay. And so yeah. I was like, I want to shield them, right, from this. I want to yeah, hide no. this so they don't have to deal with it. I need to be like this strong person in their life. And, and I mean, just looking at it from that other angle – Makes so much sense. Yeah. Then what happens? Because they will deal with loss, right? Yeah. So on the topic of vulnerability. <laughs> yes, sir. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about like your, your story and what kind of like got you to where you are now? Sure. I know you, you lost your brother. Yeah. What was dealing with that like? Do you, do you mind so, sharing? Oh my God. Of course not. This is, I mean, it's who I am. It's like, you know, I, right. Who I am like woven into me. And so I am so happy to share. He, um, so my brother was 13 months younger than me. 
we were best friends for all of time. We sort of lived a parallel life. Um, we had ran with the same circle of friends, um, same school, obviously. We worked in the same organizations. We lived in the same condo complex. Like we, wow. we did it all. Um, our family was very, very close. Um, so I also have an older sister, Lisa, um, and my parents. And we, we did everything together, vacation together, partied together. We just lived together, right? Like we just, we enjoyed life and enjoyed, enjoyed each other's company. And so, um, he became addicted to pills, um, which was wild to think about. Like, of course, everybody like dabbles in drinking and drugs, right? And like, not everybody, but a lot of people, right? Yeah. And I never th thought that it could get to the point that it got to with him. And so um, very quickly, he he became addicted to, to taking pills and he unfortunately lost his job. And when that happened, he could no longer afford pills. And so he turned to heroin. And it was a wild ride. Like, um he was a functioning heroin addict. So, um, a lot of people didn't know what was going on. A lot of people did know what was going on. Um, but we sort of lost him before we physically lost him, right? Because he wasn't the person that he was at one time. So he was just doing things and his behaviors were way off the Richter scale and like stealing and lying and just being deceitful and sort of what you do when you are a drug addict, right? Um, and so we battled for years with his addiction um, and just the sadness that that brings, which in my heart now is very important for me to be able to connect with families that go through something similar um, so that they know that they are not alone. And there are so many people out there and so many families out there that experience this right now, right? Like it's not, it's not something that happens to just someone from the inner city. Like, I want people to understand this. This this crosses all walks of life. It crosses all races. It crosses all socioeconomic backgrounds, right? Like, and, and there needs to be awareness around that. It affects everyone. Um, and so... We, um, he, he had multiple overdoses where he had to be revived. Like it was just a complete shit show to be brutally honest, um, and horribly painful. And then in 2014, he was hospitalized. Um, they found a mass on his spine. Um, he had to undergo surgery to have it removed. And then he was in the hospital for 13 weeks in which I had drawn a line in the sand and made the decision that I was not going to see him because I, I couldn't take it anymore. Like he was just putting us through too much. Um, and so he was released from the hospital because my grandmother died. Um, so he came to the services. He went back in, was released a week later, and I saw him for about five minutes. He came into the coffee shop I owned at the time to give me a kiss. And that's the last time that I ever saw him. So he overdosed on heroin. Um, and it was a really, really hard year. So that January, we had lost my father's father. My father's mother passed away in July, and my brother passed away two weeks after my grandmother had passed. And so there was just like this compounded grief that like, I felt like my family couldn't get out of Samson's, right? Like we, we literally, like we joke around, we should have had a wing there. We were there all the time. And so at that time I had owned a coffee shop. 
I closed for two weeks. Um, my mother and my brother worked there. My mother could never come back. So when I opened the doors, it literally, Roger, became, I'm so sorry, 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 right? Every single customer that come, came in the door, and it was out of the goodness of their heart. But to be like at the counter and listening to that day in and day out, and then I'd have some people come in where um, they hadn't been in in months, and so they'd come in and like yell for him in the back, and I'd have to tell them that he died. So... And then it became, how's your mom? 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 Because she wasn't there either. And so this, there was just this constant sort of light shining on the hardest moment of my life. And um, eight months after, I went to get up. This is sort of, we'll bring the story full circle, which I'm sure we'll talk about my diagnosis also. But I went to get up out of a chair in my parents' house um, and I collapsed. My legs didn't work. And so I had to army crawl to the phone and I had to call for help and I ended up being hospitalized and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and they chalked it up to stress and a nervous breakdown. Um, and I was in a pretty shitty spot. So I was suicidal. Um, I did not want to live. And I had my daughter who was five, who is my absolute world. And how scary it is to think now like that I would have left this world and left her behind. But that's how bad I was. Um, and one day I woke up and I went, fuck this. Like this is not going to be the way that you play out the rest of your life. So you better figure out what you need to do. Um, tried therapist, tried psychiatrist, tried it all, right? And it just it, – none of that was working for me. And so that's going back to how we started the conversation. That's when I just decided like I'm going to become a student to everything that I need to do to figure out how to make myself live in a happier space. And so every day I dedicated time and effort into doing just that, right? Like I couldn't have been the only person out there that was experiencing this. So I used the internet to my benefit. It's like I read blogs, I read books, I listened to podcasts, I watched YouTube videos, I found out what worked for people, I did affirmations, I practiced gratitude every day, I had a positivity jar, like Jason D had hashtag positivity at the time, yeah, I yeah. could have been like the face of it, like that's just what I did. That's what I did. And so fast forward all this time later, um, I was diagnosed with MS a year ago. And so looking back, I think that that was probably the first flare I had um, because of the stress that I was under. My body gave up. But at the time, I didn't know that's what it was. So. Very likely. Wild. That uh, I mean, that's that's quite the story. I want to say story and take away from it. Adventure. It's yeah. quite the life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and just to see who you are. Now, yeah, you are positivity. I know. How much work does that take for you still? It's a daily practice every day, every day. So, I, I tell my clients now it's not something that you can just stop, it's just like that physical muscle in the gym, right? Like, if I knock it off, then those muscles are going to go away. And so, um, I use all not everything, but a lot of what I have used for all of time. So, every day, I start my day with gratitude. I think of three things that I'm grateful for when I wake up because I think so often so many people start their day and they're already 
agonizing or anticipating what they don't want to do during the day, right? Like, oh, shit, I have all these emails I have to get back to. I have meetings all day long. What the fuck? My schedule is out of control. My kids, my kids' schedule is crazy. I have to go to sports all day. The moment you open your eyes or people generally grab their phone and they're scrolling through <laughs> social media and we all know yeah. that there's not a whole lot of positivity on social media. And so it's literally before you even like swing your legs out of your bed that you're putting your mindset in a space that is not like preparing you to be your best self during the day. So I start with gratitude, like just when I open my eyes, three things I'm grateful for. And that automatically puts me in a space where I'm better off than the person that's not doing that, right? Like it, yeah. it allows me to get into a space where I'm just more positive. Um, so that's a big one. Um, I do that every day. I also, when I do cardio during the day, whether I'm running or walking, I pull up something motivational. So I don't care if it's Tony Robbins or Mel Robbins or David Goggins, or I listen to something that jazzes me and I also learn from it. And so not only do I pick up like one or two or three or five tips from whatever I'm listening to for myself, but then that's all information that I can help relate to my clients too. Right. So I do that every single day. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. There's so many people out there that just wake up and they reach for their phone. They check the news on Facebook and Instagram. And I don't even like going on those things because it's habit. That, before we had the business, I didn't even, didn't even have social media. Yeah. When I met Brittany, she was like, I can't find you on the internet. I was like, yeah, exactly. I'm not on there. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No. I, and, uh, Oh man, what is your, what is your morning routine? Do you have like a morning routine that you go through? Do I mind, do. Do you mind sharing that with I us? I do. Sure. So I, when I wake up, I do practice my gratitude. So, um, I say the three things that I'm grateful for. And I, do you say those out loud or you just think that? Um, sometimes I say them out loud. It depends. Sometimes I talk to my brother and when I talk to him, I generally say them out loud. Um, but sometimes I just say them in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, and then one of the things which I don't do all of the time, and I would say to anybody out there that's listening to this, anything that I'm talking about, like we're human. So while the tips and techniques are yeah. really super great and cool, sometimes you just forget or sometimes you just don't do it. And like, don't beat yourself up over that, right? Building a new habit is, is hard. hard, right? Like, so just jump back on the wagon when you think of it and like start over again. Like you don't have to beat yourself up and go, what the fuck? I didn't do this. Right. And so, um, so I do my gratitude. I generally go downstairs and make a coffee. And when I'm, when I'm on my A game, which is pretty much most of the time, I start by making a list of three things that I know I need to accomplish. Okay. So this is one of the things that I talk about a lot with clients is that it's the next three things in your day that you know you need to accomplish. Not like I have to make dinner tonight. Because there's so many things that have to happen before that, right? It's yeah. like the next three things. And as I accomplish them, even if it's just like as simple as responding to five emails, as I accomplish them, I literally cross them off. And what I find in doing that is like you actually get boosts of serotonin and like dopamine and I call it the good juju in your head. <laughs> and it motivates you to want to go on to the next one. Oh, yeah. Right? So have your list of 30, but like don't do – don't just use the list of 30 because when you only get to seven, how do you think you feel? Like shit, right? Yeah. So pull the first three things that you need to accomplish off of that list of 30 and just cycle through your day as such. So I do that. 
I do, I do my list of three. Um, get my kid off to school, and then generally that's when I do my cardio, whether it's walking or running, depending on how I feel during the day. And so, again, that's like the third piece of positivity and like goodness that's happening before 10 a.m. every single day. Yeah. Yeah. What, what time do you get up? <laughs> so when I before I was a grief coach, I used to get up at five every day. Yeah. So I could get my cardio in because my days were like twelve or fourteen hours yeah. of work. I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, which I have to. I I I hope we have an opportunity to talk about that shift and like how amazing it's been. But um, now I sleep till seven every day. That's so amazing. Seven o'clock. That's, I know. I'm so I'm up at four. Oh, every single day. So early. I try to do it on weekends too. Well, it, for me, it works out because it's like getting things done before you kids, start the day, before the kids get up, before the day starts. Like if I, if I, I have things I need to get done, if I decide to sleep in, they don't get done. Like I'm busy tonight. Was it until like, uh, nine 30. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So you I have to get up. Yeah. I have to get it done, but that's because I want to make sure that I have time for the kids later. And like, I don't do things during their time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, which is awesome. Super important. Yeah. I think that a lot of the time people say, I don't have time for X, Y, Z. And I'm like, if it's a must for you and not a should, then you make time. So if that means getting up at four o'clock AM, like, is that ideal? Hell no. But like, <laughs> if it's important to you to get certain things done at that time and they're your musts and not your shoulds, then you make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, what else I really like about it though, is that, uh, Going on a positivity train there, like it's so peaceful at that time. Yes, right. It's like there's not cars, there's not people, there's like there's literally nothing. You go outside and it's just like yeah. peaceful. Yeah, right. So, and I have a morning routine too that takes up some time in the morning. So it's nice yeah. to just like sit down and go through that. Yes, and enjoy coffee and then like just start your day calm. Yes, right? that's what it is. And then when you look at your cell phone, right, that's, that's not calm anymore. You check your mm -mm. email, you check your Facebook. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're thrown into this mix of chaos, emotional. You're subject to whatever negative bullshit yeah. pops up there. So I think that I just like for me personally, I found that so impactful. So that's why I'm kind of harping on it here because I think that you're more people should do that. It's hard. Yeah. Right? It is but hard. It's uh, it's absolutely 100% necessary. And then even just having like the gratitude practice. It's hard. Like it is hard to genuinely be grateful for things. Like when I started doing that, I'm like, what the, what do you mean? Gr yeah. What grateful? can I be grateful for? I'm grateful that I have a car. I don't know. Like, I'm grateful that I've got some food. Like, yeah. And then it's like, the more you do it, the more like the deeper level yes. you get on, right? Yes. It's like what you're grateful for and, yes. and why, and like expressing that gratitude to people too. Yeah. Like showing it. It's huge. Yeah. The universe brings it back. And I think that starting your day, I, preparedness is so critical, right? Like mm -hmm. just being prepared because if you're not, then to your point, your mind is going in a zillion different directions. And so how successful can you be in your day when you're in that state? Oh my God. If I, it's so, chaos. If I'm not prepared, if I don't have a little list for the day, it's funny. I use three as well. I try to narrow yep. it down to one and then have like a two and a second and a third. Perfect. <laughs> Otherwise I'm exactly like yeah, you described. Like, much. Oh, <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> If when I have that, and I prepare for the next day, and I prepare for that day, and review, and like everything is written down, it's like takes so much stress and anxiety yes. away, and like I'm able to be so much more present, having like my day kind of blocked of knowing what I'm doing and when. Even yeah. if even if someone throws a wrench in the plans, like yeah. happens every single day, of course, right? But yeah. uh, it, it just allows me to be so much less negative. Yeah. Period. Yeah, it's crazy how those things. 
carry over so so largely because then it's in your relationships and your parenting and your ability to be present with your kids and not like scrolling on your phone all the time, which is still something that I struggle with. Yeah. You know, but yeah. So let's let's jump over to um, what you said you wanted to talk about the transition into being a grief coach and not working 14 hours a day. Yeah. So I think that it's important for people to hear. Um, I just think that. I think that you have to do some real self-reflection on what success means to you, right? And so I grew up in a space where I thought, right, based off of society and parenting and and what we learned is that you go to school, right? You go get a college education, you get your degree, you get a job right out of school, you work nine to five, you and you keep climbing the corporate ladder. Like there was no other mindset for me. And I was doing it and I'm doing it and I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm super successful at it. Right. And like in my last career, I was at a health plan for five years and I managed two teams. I managed a provider relations team and I managed a sales team and it was great. And financially, it was spectacular, right? Like I, I was making the money that I wanted to make and more. I could take care of my family. I was doing it. And in everybody's eyes, I was successful, successful right? Yeah. I think I want to drive this home so much because my body was breaking down. The stress that my job was causing me, literally, I believe wholeheartedly, had my MS come to the surface. I was, my my legs were tingling and numb for a year and a half. My eyes were twitching, twitching and watering. My cognition was off. I couldn't formulate sentences sometimes. Um, I had chronic cramping in my feet, in my ankles. I could no longer run. I remember having a conversation with you because I was a runner my whole life and I literally could not run. Mm -hmm. um, it was bad. It was bad. So I make this transition seven months ago out of that space and I decide that I'm going to pursue this, right, for my career. My definition of success has completely changed. My defini definition of success now is how happy can I be every day and how present can I be for everyone that I interact with, not just my family and my friends. Like That's amazing. Every person that I interact with, how present can I be and what can I give them? And my whole life changed. I now am crossfitting like a loon, right? <laughs> like I'm running or walking every single day before I'm crossfitting. I have limited physical symptoms with MS. I am medication free. I don't take long-term MS medication. Like, and I think that the people around me that are closest to me would tell you, like, I am a better person. I'm a better human. So it's wild. I think that it's really, really important for people to hear that. And I think that people really need to consider what their definition of success looks like and how that could potentially change their whole being too. 100%. Does that make sense? No, to me, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, and I think it makes maybe more sense to people that have gone through something yeah. like that. It's like, what do I really want in my life? Because I, what I think the challenge for most people is going to be as they listen to this is that most people – have no idea what they want out of life. It's they are true. just coasting aimlessly or working towards, like you said earlier, some arbitrary goal that just like society says we should work towards yeah. with no real personal goals. Like taking a step back and really critically appraising what do I want my life to look like? Who do I want to 
B is huge. And I get it. I have a whole morning formula that I go through that is like I read it every <laughs> morning. It's like a life vision statement. It's I like it. Who I am as a person, as a parent, as a business owner, uh, you know, uh, uh, as an intimate uh, partner. Yeah. Like what I want my life to look like, my house, like my business, my employees, what I want their lives to look like. Like literally Amazing. everything. It takes me a while to read it every morning. And there's affirmations in there, which I used to scoff at. I would, I would read them. It's fucking dumb. Who am yeah. I reading this for? So right, hokey. This is, this is so stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. silly. Yeah. And now it's like, I love now I'm at the point where I like, I can't do it around Brittany because I read it like out loud under my breath a little bit. She's like, can you like go in the other room? <laughs> you read that in your head. I'm like, no, because it feels better when I when say, you say it, it out loud. loud which yeah. is why I was wondering if yeah. you said those things yeah. out loud earlier. Yeah. yeah. It does feel better. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, I can't even, you're so on the money with that. Yeah. You know? and, and I'm so happy to hear that you like got through all that and you're able to find this space and, yeah. and, and you're living life. Like life is so much better now. It's, right? like, it, it just is. Yeah. It just is. I can't express it enough. And, and I think people, you know, people are like, how, how do you take that risk? Like, how do you, that's so scary. How do you just make the jump? And I wish I could teach it, mm-hmm. but I don't know that you can. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to do it. Like sometimes you just have to take the risk and go, oh shit, like there is no back burner. I'm just doing it, right? And and whatever that means, I'm going to grind yeah. to figure out what it means because I'm not going back. I love it. That's 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 how I do it. To me, the biggest risk, and it's, again, it's a mindset thing. The biggest risk is staying exactly where you are, right? If you – Right. If you – doing nothing is right. the biggest risk. It is true. Like you can – What's the worst thing that happens if you go out, you try to open a business, you change your life? What's the worst thing that happens? Yeah. You get a job. Right. Oh, boy. Now I'm back yeah. where I was oh, before. But yeah. at least like I know that I tried not to live my, the rest of my life with a what if. Yeah. Right? What if? Yeah. Or I was going to do that. Yeah. You know? like What's the best thing that happens? Oh, I don't know. You change you, your family's lives, and everybody around you's lives for better forever, generationally. Maybe, Imagine. You know? Like, wow. Okay. So what's the biggest risk? Staying exactly where you are or like taking control and doing something that is honestly just too scary for many people to do. It's true. It comes down to the vulnerability bit that it we does. back around. Because why are you afraid of failure? Because you're afraid of the judgments. You're Correct. afraid of other people's opinions. Opinions. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yep. I think people could benefit from volunteering and spending some time in a nursing home. Or with elderly people, because I think that sadly, a lot of people have made it to that space in life and didn't act sort of on the what ifs, right? And they, they, um, they allowed the what ifs to take control and they didn't act on things. And so they get to that space and then it's like, oh shit, well, what is my legacy left? And why didn't I do all of these things, right? And so I do think that having conversations with those people that carry so much wisdom, right? Opens your mind to like, do you want to be in that space? Yeah. I sure as hell don't like, I don't know how long I have, but I want to, I want to know that I damn sure have lived like every day to the fullest that I could. Yeah, I agree entirely. And again, like this whole time, I think you're spot on with that. Like hanging out with people in nursing homes that are later on. Right. I love chatting with the elderly population. Yes. I did a, a 12 week internship while I was split up because I crashed a motorcycle quite spectacularly <laughs> in the middle of it. <laughs> Talking about going through some, uh, God almighty. some grief yeah. there or not dealing with grief and just making bad decisions. Yeah. That was, that's how I yeah. dealt with things for a while. <laughs> um, 
But they have just such a different outlook that mm-hmm. even you have to be in the right frame of mind to even be receptive to because they would talk to me about things. I'm like, yeah, wh- whatever. Like, I don't really care. Now, yeah. like, looking back on it, like, uh, they have a lot of wisdom, right? And, they sure and do. what they do is they share the things that they didn't like that they wish that they could go back yes. and change. Like, how shitty does that feel as a person? Uh, hopefully, I'll never know to be sitting there. At the end of my life saying, I wish I did things differently. Yeah. Here's what I, it, it, yeah. If somebody's telling you that guys, like anybody listen to this, if you're, if you've got, you know, older grandparents or like anywhere that you can interact with, with some really elderly people, go, go talk to them and literally just ask them, what would you change about your life if yeah. you could do it again? Yeah. And they all have an answer. Not they all, all have, Yeah. Well, yeah. But I, I bet most of them. All of them. I, I bet like, most of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. eye opening. It's eye opening. I've people, if they can open their minds to that, what an opportunity. Yeah. You know? It's cool. Wild. I think this has been a great conversation. Yeah, so, me too. Thank you. I always like to end with uh, a couple of certain things. If somebody okay. wants to, to get in contact with you, reach out, find out more, maybe work with you, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. So I am on um, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. So at Guidance by Lee, and Lee is L I. Um, my website is www.guidancebylee.com. Dot com. Um, so check me out there. Um, even if you don't want to work with me, I try um, through Facebook and Instagram to post daily, um, whether it's a video or just written content, um, just supportive, encouraging, motivational stuff. So even if you're not looking for a one-on-one session or a group session, um, that can be really helpful. Yeah, just a just a great resource. Yeah. If somebody has questions and they want to reach out by email, do you have an email that you prefer? Oh, I do. Um it's guidance by Lee at gmail dot com. That's yeah. pretty simple. It's pretty simple. <laughs> pretty simple, yeah. Okay. And then uh what is one book that you think everybody should read? Oh God, that's a good question. <laughs> um Shit, you got to put me on the spot? Everybody everybody sells. Well, there's been one or two people that are like, I have one at the ready. I'm like, Really? Yeah, but I think they really? were prepared for the question. Yeah, I was not prepared <laughs> for the question. I don't I don't know. I honestly don't I I don't know. I I have I have so many books. You don't even have to read a whole book. Like, do what I just mentioned earlier and go online and just the crazy thing about this online web with free content, right? Like Google motivational videos and click on videos and watch that shit. Like that I'm telling you, like sometimes this is the truth. I can't, sometimes I can't get into a whole book. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Wild. My mind goes in like 5,000 different directions. So if I can watch a short video or like a 15 minute video or 20 minute video, I'm like, yeah, I'm jamming. Yeah. I've got so many half read books. So many. Well, not even half read, half listened to because I do a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. But it's like, all right, well, I think I get the point. Let me skip through here maybe a little bit. All right, I'm, un- I'm uninterested. I lose <laughs> interest go. quickly. I yeah. have too much going on in my mind. So mm-hmm. that would be my advice, not a whole book. Okay. Watch some motivational videos. And then what's your favorite distance to run? Mm. So short distance, um, five miles. Short five miles. Short five miles. Short for some people. Long, long, a lot long for others. Makes me happy. Um, Running gives me a high that like no other. Even a different high than when I CrossFit, which I have become a junkie for. Yeah. What's your favorite CrossFit exercise? Oh, God. um, Only pick one. If I can only pick one. One movement. 
I'm kind of excited to be able to double under these days. Oh, yeah. So that was a big one. Um, I like to box jump. And believe it or not, the assault bike. Oh, yeah. You're a masochist. <laughs> it's, it's, is not bad for me. Do you just it's spew, not, not bad. Do you but. just spew positive positivity as you're on there it's like people give me the finger motivate. as i'm on it <laughs> no <laughs> i'm not quotes. i'm not i don't know why it doesn't bother uh, me as much as it bothers everybody else but yeah no i actually honestly uh i enjoy the assault bike as well you do not too many people know that yeah yeah, like yeah. If, uh, if i'm following a program and it's like oh we've got some choose your own cardio i'm like run row i'm going to the bike people yeah. are like what's wrong with you yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, i like bike. it I like it. And I got toast to bar last week, which I was also super proud of. So uh, yeah, it's all these little things like right when you go in for the first time and it's like so intimidating and so scary, but it's not because everybody's so supportive and amazing. And like, as you start to grow and continue to like enhance your skill set, once start, stuff starts to click, it is so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you've got things like double unders. Like how long have you been working on those? Oh my. Almost a year. It took me almost a year. <laughs> yeah. It took me almost a year to do it. Right. So like having that click, like, ah. man, that's that delayed gratification. Nobody wants it, but it always feels so good when you yes. get it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's so awesome. I don't know. I can't explain it. So great. Oh, so yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. So now you guys know she's a big fitness junkie if you didn't catch that earlier, <laughs> earlier on, which is fantastic because, yeah. uh, I mean, even just taking an MS diagnosis and turning that around yeah. into being a fitness junkie is huge because a lot of people that just like let it take over their life. Yeah, that's not an option. I'm it's, not balling up in a corner. Like, yeah. absolutely not. But whose decision is it? My very own decision. So everybody out there, it is your own decision on what outcome you want. And so I have symptoms every single day that are not ideal, right? And guess what I do? I work through it. Like, and that is a decision that you and you alone have to make with yourself. You can either let it derail you, um, make you feel shitty and sort of why me, or you can change the question that you ask yourself to how can I learn from this or how can this make me a better person or what can I do with this diagnosis? And you can keep pushing through it. Yeah. And that doesn't even just apply to the diagnosis, not Correct. to take away from that. That's true. But the reason you are so happy is because you apply that same thought process to everything, to everything, every single thing. Yeah. All day long. Uh, you know, my recommendation for a book, if you haven't seen it already, is the daily stoic. I have not even heard of it by Ryan holiday. Okay. It's just, uh, it's a bunch of breakdowns of stoic quotes from like Epictetus and Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and like, Yep, and interpretations and real life applications, and oh. it's just one a day. So that's part of my morning. I like it. Formula is that I read one of those, and it puts things in perspective for me every day. Each uh, month has a different theme, but uh, yeah, I, I find that super super helpful. Mm, I like that. I will check it out for sure. Cool. All right, so I guess we'll awesome. bring this to an end. Okay. Thank you again. Thank for you coming for coming on. Thank you for having me. If you guys didn't hear that, there was a high five in there, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll, we'll touch base again and have you back on. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others by taking a screenshot of this episode and posting it to your story on Instagram and tagging at MoveAthleticsPT so we can repost it. And to stay up on all the latest from me, make sure that you follow at MoveAthleticsPT on Instagram and Facebook and then subscribe to the Move Athletics newsletter at www.MoveAthleticsPT.com. Dot com.
All right, guys. Catch you next episode.